In the last episode, we heard how Call Collective founder Mike Cotty made himself so indispensable that he easily negotiated himself out of his dream job and into a contractor role. That freed him up to follow his dreams without losing the paycheck. This week, we dive deep into how he produces his videos, the equipment he uses, and how he continues to leverage those relationships so that his marketing partners are basically footing the bill for his passion project. Not bad, eh? We finish with how he's now starting to leverage his own brand to increase revenue opportunities without increasing his workload. If you think you want to be a YouTube star or just need a little inspiration for more creative deal making, this one's for you. by Tyler Benedict that explores the startup stories and growth tactics of hundreds of entrepreneurs, plus his own tips and tricks learned over two decades of launching, running, and growing businesses, including BikeRumor.com, the world's largest and most popular cycling tech blog. If you're thinking of starting your own business, the Build Cycle will give you the tools and inspiration to do it right. Now, let's dive into this episode of The Build Cycle. This episode is brought to you by Health IQ. If you're running a business or thinking of launching your first company and you have anyone counting on you, and that could be family, employees, or investors, you need life insurance to protect them. Health IQ could save you hundreds of dollars on your premium. How? I'll tell you a little later in this episode. Now, let's dive into part two of my interview with Mike Cotty. What is the revenue model now for Call Collective? Like how much are those two big sponsors kicking in? How much do the little guys kick in? Like what other revenue sources do you have for the Call Collective project? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. Um, and I think in the early days, no one could really understand how we were able to produce this content um, because it is, is, is tricky to get you know, get paid to, to go and film and ride. It seems like a dream job. Um, and it's, it's, it is, it is. I, it was my dream. Um, I think what people uh, often overlook is the um, you know, the backstory and the the years of sort of development and education and experience that you have to gain just to to try and bring all this together. And uh, it's funny, um, I, I get comments quite a lot saying, you know, yeah, you're living the dream, and I wish I had your job. And I say to, I, I answer every question I can, and I always sort of remind people, I say, yeah, if you have if you want to live the dream, and if you want my job, then you know, I'm quite happy to hand it over, but just make sure you're prepared for it because it's not it's not the eight minutes you see on YouTube when the music's right and, you know, the everything looks idyllic. Uh, you've got to maybe, all right, if you're happy to be on the mountain for that 12 hours that day uh, and you're bitterly cold because it's only three degrees at the top and uh, you're still trying to put on a brave face and bring it all together. And then, of course, you go back and you do all the sponsorship and blah, 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 blah. So, you know, people have got to take uh, everything. I say, you've got to take the full package and now write back to me and say, you're happy to take the full package. So well, let's, and, uh, I, I want to definitely talk about the, the filming process because that's like you mentioned, you know, it's 12 hours on the mountain to produce eight minutes of video. But before we, we yep. transition to that, I, I'd love to finish up on the numbers a little bit. So like, exactly. you know, like it, it, uh, kind of the nutshell question is like, could you do what you're doing on the call collective just off of sponsors for that project? Or do you need 
the side project work that you're doing for Cannondale and Mavic and others to to make this a viable business? Yeah, so so basically to answer answer your question, the the way that I worked it out was when I um, when I left Cannondale, we obviously had the the support, um, we had a contract to do a lot of their work, um, and I started. I had all the the, the brand um, connections and, and relationships over many years. And I sort of went around Eurobike at the time in the September, and I just chatted to all the brands I'd I'd basically worked with, um, not not being paid, but just worked with for, for years. And Mavic was a brand that I got to, to know really well from the product launches when I was organising product launches for Cannondale. Uh, and then we'd have some Mavic guys along because the, the bike would have a set of Mavic wheels on, and we'd get to some of their guys to talk about their technology, and it, it was great. And then uh, eventually, what actually happened there to get a good relationship with Mavic? I, uh, all the journalists they always want wanted photos and I always would be more than happy to you know get up at 5am in the morning or you know when the sun goes down and do some night shots or whatever I didn't make a difference to me I just wanted to make sure that the brand was out there in the best way so I was always doing all these photo shoots and then uh, Mavic would see me on a cover of a magazine or like a six page spread or whatever and uh, one thing led to another and they said oh do you want to do you want to ride in the shoes or do you want to use the wheels and and that that was just how the relationship started so it was kind of through my Cannondale days as, as sort of modeling for journalists at, at product uh, product uh, media launches and you know then when I was then when I said you know I'm going to leave uh, I went around all these brands which I I, I mean I knew Mavic for like uh, probably started with them 2005 and then I only got a contract with them in 2012 so I did seven years of yeah just just doing what I had to do you know there was no ulterior motive like in seven years I'm going to go and do this no I just it was just yeah you get a pair of wheels and a pair of shoes and you're happy because it's like yeah you don't have to buy it so you just crack on and uh, and that but it, you know it took seven years and then when I went to them afterwards and said hey I've got this idea I want to go and do this they were they were super cool um, real super easy brand to 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 connect with and obviously I had a relationship with them but I sort of pitched my idea they really liked the Pyrenean ride. They just thought that really represented a different area of, of cycling. It wasn't racing. It wasn't about winning. And, and they've got teams and athletes to do that. This was about escapism and freedom. And that ride that I did, I actually wrote it up for five or six magazines around the world. And it, the magazines landed on Mavic's desk. So when I went to them at Eurobike and said, hey, I'd love to I'd love to do something like this with you guys. Uh, they were like, yeah, we love that story. So Mavic came on board really quick uh, from an ambassador standpoint. And then they saw what I did with the big rides. And Cannondale was sort of still in the background, actually. Mavic ended up being my, my biggest sort of supporter. Um, and that was where a, a good chunk of our revenue came from. And uh, so I represented them. I did big challenges. And then as the coal collective sort of progressed, I sort of said, look, I want to try and do this. Essentially, you, you hit the nail on the head, Mavic and Cannondale. Uh, they allowed they gave me enough sort of funding um, within a lot of other stuff that I was doing for them. So there was never really a, uh, well, this is the, we, we pay this amount for that project. Uh, it was always kind of like, well, this is this is the overall um fee so to speak contract and then i would look at it and say okay well i can do this for x and i can do this and this is how it all comes together so it's kind of a numbers game kind of a bit of a juggling act and but essentially through um through mavic and cannondale predominantly mavic i would say that's why if you see the videos it's it's in association with mavic they they really were the 
the brand that allowed me to to make the cold collective what it is and i managed the budgets and managed the videographers managed everything i i just said look year one you're going to get 30 videos um i've got the budget now and we're going to try and do as good job as we can and we're going to see what happens after year one and uh, as soon as we finish year one mavic said okay right we want to do a three-year contract so you can you can carry on doing that do this for three years with a bit more uh security about you know you don't have to worry for three years about trying to you know always be be pushing and try and bring in the uh the, the money to try and run the project so that gave us that gave us some stability um and with that came you know hey how can i make this project better where can we go so we we, we dived out to the u.s uh tried to film some climbs as, as far as we could and yeah just just try and you know try and bring it to life in a, in a really cool way and, and, and not just keep it about Europe. I wanted to try and travel and, and bring people really interesting places and, and essentially, you know, climbs that were popular so that people, uh, they could relate to it. Oh, this is the climb I've done or I've been on holiday there. So, yeah, really Mavic, Mavic were the, the, the main, the key brand there, but, but certainly uh, Mavic and Canada together gave us a really good sort of grounding to get ourselves going. So maybe the, the better question then is like it, it, today, 2018, what is the expectations for time? Like how much of your time do they expect you to be working on their projects versus whatever it is you think is the best thing? Yeah, again, it's, um, so we, we've got Mavic and Cannondale and then, um, a good five brands, uh, smaller brands, um, that, that sort of help us support us along the way as well. If we look at Mavic, which is the, the biggest brand, which I, I work with now, um, I've got a contract for the cold collective. Uh, so I have X amount, to try and produce per year uh, but then i also have it's one contract sort of divvied up then i have a, a part of that is for ambassador work so i've i'm contracted to do to do a number of days with them whether it's a product launch or um yeah sales meetings um i also at the moment look after uh, quite a bit of the social media activity so looking after some of instagram some of facebook um so there's there's quite a few different roles within that contract um which inevitably that's why i sort of mentioned earlier in the in the podcast that um i'm not 100 percent on coal collective <laughs> there's the coal collective is is a it's a large part of our, our working week but there's there's many different projects that we're always trying to juggle and uh, try and make fit. And then the, the other sort of contracts that we have for, for some of the other brands we work with is quite nice because yeah, we, we basically put together a one page sheet and we give it to each brand and say, look, this is the content we're producing. This is, you know, for, for the investment, this is, this is what we'll do for you. Um, and then they either say yes or no, we have a bit of a discussion and say, uh, make sure everyone's happy. And, you know, we, we, we get so many assets throughout the year from, from video to photo. Uh, we can keep someone's timeline pretty fresh if, if we provide all the assets every you know, three, four, five weeks when we've been out on our travels. So it's really, you know, I look at it from my old marketing background, it's so cost effective. Um, just capturing assets costs a lot. If you've got to hire a photographer and a videographer and tell a story and do whatever, we're out on location in some really super nice places. And, um, you know, our team is small, um, uh, but we can capture some great assets and we can give a lot of value to a brand. So uh, touch wood, it's, um, it's working quite well. All right, let's transition to what it actually takes to produce a call collective video. So I'm going to embed some in the show notes on this so people can see a few examples of what it is. And like you said, it's it's sort of like you kind of riding and narrating the the ride up some of the most prestigious and famous climbs in, you know, like the ones that we all see, these peak finishes at the Tour de France or the Giro and whatnot. You know, these these kind of like 
bucket list climbs that a lot of cyclists have. And so what you do is you go through, you narrate it, you talk a little bit about what you're riding, why you're riding that or using that part, and then some of the highlights along the ride. And like you said, about eight minutes, but sometimes these things can take a day or more to film. So what's what's kind of the process from the initial planning all the way through the the day of filming? Well, when we when we first started season one, um, we had a, a quite an ambitious schedule, and you know it was the first year for all the brands that we were working for, and you know I wanted to get a good launch on the project, so we we set ourselves the task of thirty videos, and I was training for the challenge Road to Mont Blanc, which was the thousand k nonstop, um, and I filmed in in amongst the training. We were doing Cannondale work at the time. Uh, some other ambassador work, obviously making Cannondale's videos, and then I was trying to do the Cold Collective and everything. So uh, I honestly don't know how I survived that year uh, because we made 30 videos and we were filming three climbs a day, three, and they were big climbs, so they would be some of the most prestigious climbs. Um, and we would, it was the, the height of the summer, uh, so we would literally uh, be up at, as soon as the sun was up, so six o'clock, and we would be finishing at half ten at night. Uh, just to make just to be able to get the footage um, and then <laughs> we would transition so you'd finish at 10 uh, transition by driving up to the next uh, you know through the valley up to the next mountain maybe uh, multiple times we would be finishing at two in the morning literally getting into asking hotels to leave keys under plant pots and we will be there don't worry and yeah plenty of fun and games which went with it and you know we got it we, we filmed two weeks solid um, to we captured 20 videos and then we did another week we had a bit of a break and then i did the challenge and then we, we did another 10 videos afterwards uh but that was like it was so intense that we came out of it at the end of the year and we were completely burnt out and it was like we'd only just launched this this, this project uh and we thought we just can't do that anymore but the, the point was we needed to get a bit of a foothold and, and some um yeah some sort of uh, appreciation for what we were trying to do if we put out five videos it would kind of be lost in the, the grand scheme of things so uh, and then uh, subsequently after that, we we had more content online. People understood it. We, we you know we'd launched, and now essentially what we do is we would spend just on one climb. We sometimes struggle to film one climb now um, per day uh, because it's such an intricate process. You know, every we we have a small team. It's myself, my girlfriend, who's uh, the other half of my business, and. She uh, will look after logistics, uh, driving, all the photography, the drone work. Um, but together we'll plan the trip, obviously, uh, where we're going to go, what we're going to do. Um, and then we have a videographer that we work with. It's not Marcus. He um, transitioned into another role and another career. Uh, but we've got a videographer we've worked with since the beginning uh, of Cold Collective, um, Italian chap who's, who's awesome. And so it's three of us on the road trying to do everything um so when you sort of see a nice sequence and not letting the cat out of the bag I, I plan on making a behind the scenes cold collective video which i think would be quite interesting you know you see a sequence coming around a corner and you've got the sort of you've got the drone shot and you've got the low shot and you've got the through the tree shot and you've got the worm's eye view and then everything shot that's because we filmed it seven times <laughs> you know with with stop do it again 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 uh, and then you move up and you move up and you move up and it's amazing how and then you have to factor in the conditions of the road, the weather, the traffic, the unexpected, the valleys that are closed, the the time delays that you might have. Um, I would yeah, imagine lighting too, right? Like if you're starting in the morning and finishing at night, yeah. you know, you've got the the change in shadows. I mean, you could end up with a film that looks kind of weird, right? 
Yeah, it's it's hilarious because we had a a chap on YouTube actually not very long ago saying, "Oh, you always seem to end up at the top of the mountain with this amazing sunset. Is it <laughs> is it planned?" And I'm like, "No, it's because it took all day. <laughs> we're, we're we're literally chasing daylight to try and get the job finished." And and what we actually did is we so we filmed essentially now we we try and say one day per climb, and that's what we'll film, and we'll still be up early and finish late. Um, and then what we found is we, we wanted to try and evolve and, and start doing some, some loops, uh, which could be anything from yeah, 60K up to 100K. Um, and we were ambitious at the start saying, oh, yeah, well, we'll just change the way we film slightly and we'll get that done in a day. And that doesn't work. Uh, multiple times we've started off and we get halfway through and we're like, we're never going to finish this loop. So, so essentially a loop will take us about two days to film. Um, and there's, there's plenty of areas which we can, we can sort of speed things up, but the end result is never the same. So I'm quite happy to spend that amount of time out there because I want the videos to, to have great value, great production value. Um, I want to learn as a, as a kind of videographer, creative person, I want to try and evolve my own skills. If I'm, if I'm going out and doing the same thing, um, every week for years and years and years, you know, it's soon you lose something. So I'm just today, I was making a video and I was looking at new effects for moving images. And if I've got a photo on screen, how I can sort of, yeah, move it around in a nicer way. And yeah, I mean, I'm just, I just want to make, I just want to teach myself how to do some cool stuff and, uh, and hopefully people appreciate that when they watch it. So essentially it's going to take between one and two days to film. Um, and then, uh, yeah, a whole lot more to, to try and bring together and produce, which actually wasn't part of the, the original plan wasn't to have anything to do with the edits. It's more like I, I'll give my input and say, this is what I want to try and achieve. Um, uh, but, uh, our videographer, uh, who does all the filming would, would basically be editing and producing. Um, and just through the evolution of the, the project, uh, I find that we actually, between myself and my girlfriend now, uh, we, we look after all the edits. Um, and, and that's a skill which I never thought, yeah, it wasn't a plan at the beginning, but it was just, I mean, I'm trying to tell a story. It's really, it is actually, it's way more than just a, let's go and film some climbs for me. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's really yeah. hard to get that story out of your head and into somebody else's head, right? It gets oh, yeah. almost more time. It is, it is time consuming to try. Well, what we, the challenges we faced is, you know, McKaylee does an awesome job, um, but he's looking at it with his, his idea of a story and I'm looking at it. I'm, I'm really particular. I really know what I want to try and achieve and how I want it to bring it together. And, and literally we can make two, I would say two outstanding edits, but they're totally different. Um, and I, I, I'm going to air towards what I want and he's going to air towards what he wants. Essentially, you know, we have to meet in the middle sometimes, but yeah, you're right. Sometimes we've, we've now come to the conclusion that, that sometimes it's easier for us to just start with a blank timeline and just build the, build the edit ourselves, which instead of sort of taking it and going, ah, it's not quite what I want. It's not wrong. There's no right and wrong, you know, and the, actually a, a really tricky thing with editing is, is knowing when to draw the line because you can finish at nine o'clock at night and go, yep, yeah, I finished that edit. And you know, you get up the next day and you say, okay, I'll give it one more watch through before <laughs> I do an export and you watch it through and you go, oh, why did I do that? I can just tweak this and I can move that. Essentially they're never finished. I mean, it's um, nine o'clock at night again. <laughs> exactly. It's now I'm done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's a real skill to go, you know what? that's as good as I can do now, move on, we've got to move on. So, and we're evolving all the time like that. So just trying to, uh, in, yeah, speed our, our workflow up and, and be a bit more efficient, but, uh, it's yeah. been a good learning curve, but, but actually to essentially sort of edit as well and produce, um, 
I mean, they're awesome skills to have, but they weren't skills that I, I significantly sort of set out at the uh, four or five years ago when I said, yeah, I want to become a video editor. It's just it's just a necessity. So um, not a bad skill to have. Yeah. Yeah. And I hate that phrase. Good enough is good enough. But sometimes, you know, it, it, oh. it really is or it just has to be, you know. So yeah, what, what's yeah. your goal now? Like how many videos do you guys aim to shoot per calendar year now? We, we, we basically say 12, um, and that's one a month. Uh, we shoot, we, we obviously go when we're on location, we'll shoot three or four at a time. Um, but what I want to try and do is we're, we've got a quite a backlog of videos and I'm trying to release something every 10 days. Um, we're, we're pretty good at, at doing that now. So 10 days, seven to 10 days, a video comes out because we've got a good backlog and we film 12 new videos a year, uh, climb videos or, or on location videos. Uh, because what I've also, now we've started a, another sort of, um, part of the cold collective which i call behind the ride and this is everything which is in my head that i want to try and get out and, and try and help people from i just shot one yesterday on ust uh because my early experiences with with ust were, were um shocking and and i didn't want to use it again and mavic started developing road ust and saying hey we'd love you to try this out they didn't ask me to make a video on it but i but there was never a platform that I could say this is a cold collective video, but now we've started doing a behind the ride, which is, yeah, it can be nutrition. It could be a stretching routine. It could be anything from what I'm doing off the bike. Um, and I just think it's interesting content. So how many of uh, those types of videos have you done? I, we're, well, I've done, uh, I did one, a big deep dive into my bike and it was really interesting. It was, it was quite a long video. It's a 45 minute video. And, uh, I just I wanted to talk about why I'm using what I'm using, because you can come into it at the end of the story and go, oh, the guy rides a Cannondale. He's on Mavic wheels. He's living the dream, uh, blah, 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 blah. And I went through every detail on my bike and I said, look, you know, ultimately, this is how it's happened. This is why I ride what I do. And this is the backstory. And this is the hardships and the times that I've done and the, the relationships I've built and how and why. And just because when people see, a, you know, a uh, an ultimate stem on the bike it's not because i'm just sponsored by them and i said hey you pay me this i'll put that on my bike i was doing work for those guys and i had a relationship for like 10 years before we ever spoke about a, you know me leaving my job and and doing whatever so you know and, and i thought that was interesting and we got a really good reception from it and as i say i wanted to do a big deep dive uh, sort of set the stage and uh, we filmed the ust yesterday and i'm trying to do i would say we'd probably do about eight of those videos a year um fit them in with the cold collective so we'll have a nice round 20 videos um, plus some of our backlog, uh, we've got a lot of, lot of content coming out. Um, and I just, I just, yeah, I just feel that that's a, it's a real asset to the whole platform being able to just chat casually. This is where I'm at. No right and wrong. Um, if you, and I always put it out there to the community, if you've got something you want to know about and I can help just leave me a comment and then I'll try and if we, you know, if everyone's asking for something, I'll try and put a video together and do it. Is there some kind of science behind like, every 10 days that you want to have a video out like is that do you think that's the minimum you need to do to keep people's attention because it seems like you know you mentioned filming 12 if you were only putting out one a month i feel like that's not enough to kind of keep people coming back and checking for new videos yeah exactly what we found actually is when we put the 30 out i mean we had a lot of content um and it was you know it's a real quick fire and you get a lot of momentum and then just through, um, you know, a bit like what you mentioned, you've got these other projects you want to try and bring to life. It cripples me when I'm not putting something out and I'm getting behind and I can see, you know, I can just, I just feel that there's not as much interaction and engagement and we're not helping as many people. Um, 
because I'm working on, I have to work on another project. And I just, I just found that if it's the videos take us such a, a, you know, I've put a lot of time um, investment into each video that I want to give them enough time for people to, to watch, understand, appreciate before it's kind of superseded. Oh, another one's come out, another one. So I think a sort of seven to ten day period for me seems to work really well, uh, purely because of production timings. They take a little while to produce, uh, but also the engagement that we have. If I leave it for one month and then a month goes by, I see the monthly views on YouTube. You know, they they're just not as big. They just take a big dip. Um, so I think that sort of cadence of around ten days seems to be seems to be pretty pretty good. Right. All right. And so you said anywhere from a day or two to film one. Once you're back with all the footage, how long does it take to produce a video? Uh, traditionally, I would say it's about if we're flat out on it, it's about five days. Um, I can I can if it comes together uh, sort of music, because what happens is you've got all these different layers. So you have the music, the sound design, uh, the actual footage itself, uh, the, the story, the kind of. I put a bit of information in with these little black box text text boxes. Uh, so you've got all these layers which get built up um, throughout the edit. And essentially what I'll do is I'll start with trying to find the right music. So it's like, okay. Where do you uh, get the music from? Um, I've got a few different sources, things like um, they're, they're, they're online um, music, actually sort of uh, – uh, yeah, music and uh, they do all sorts of stuff like Pond Five uh, is one which we use, or Audio Network is another one, and they're they're big just music libraries of artists that upload their music or whatever it is. Could be graphics for a project, it could be little idents for the beginning of a movie. Um, they're really talented people from from everywhere, and they upload it, and there's a fee which goes with it, and you you buy a license to uh, hey I want to use this music on YouTube it cost me X amount of pounds and uh, so so I've sort of we spend a lot of time just looking at these these sites that are set up for, for artists to uh, get their work out there and make money on it and uh, uh, so you kind of have to look and go well where am I in the world what sort of music do I want what's the setting so that's kind of like a skill and an art in itself which takes a few hours at least uh, could be a day just looking at music and then and then it's essentially trying to build that that story but I know that I'm getting somewhere when, you know, it, I always sort of equate it to it's it's a big mess at the beginning and you've got almost like a jigsaw <laughs> puzzle. You take the box and you get it at Christmas and you shake it up and all the pieces are everywhere and then you work slowly bit by bit. And then I really feel by the end of it, like it's almost like you put that last bit of the jigsaw in and it, it, you sit back and the music's right, the sound's right, the story's good, the visuals are good. And then it's like, yeah, I've done an all right job there. I can yeah. put that out. I feel good. It's But it, it's about a a five-day process um from start to finish yeah I, I know what you mean man we've been doing more video for bike rumor and it's like it is it starts out as just jumble of raw footage <laughs> and when it's but when you get it dialed and all the sound lines up just right yeah. it, there's just real satisfaction the uh so the uh, story gonna, sorry go ahead no no i was, I was actually going to say that the tricky part is like the difference between what i found is a video that just feels right yep. and a video that feels just off is, is minute. It's I mean, tiny. it's microseconds of timing, right? Yeah, but it, and it's it's the little noise that's not quite right and it's the sound which it just doesn't go. It's so tiny. It's like 1% of the video, but it, it, but it takes it like 50% of the viewing pleasure if it's not quite right. And it's that's the art. That's the 1% which sometimes you've got to draw the line, but it's <laughs> if you get the 1%, suddenly it's like, that's a cool video now. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, sorry to interrupt. Now, when you're developing the story, so do you have a story in mind? Like, let's just say Alpe d'Huez, right? Like, if you were going to go film Alpe d'Huez, 
would you already have the story that you want or do you have to ride it first and then you come back with all this footage and be like, okay, you know, this is how I felt. This is what I think the story needs to be. Uh, everything which we do on the videos is completely organic. So although I have a, a do my research, I mean, I've been a fan of the sport for, uh, since I was 12, I'm 38 now. So a long time. Um, so I've got my own history and uh, I've got like my own experiences, whether I've done an event and then I can call on that experience. Hey, at this point I really suffered, or this is a real hard point to, to look out for, or the history of the sport, what the pros have done and the races. So I do my, I, I sort of gen up again and, and get some, 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 basic research done but essentially i don't ever we don't script anything um i do it on feeling i just want to feel what what's happening on the day i can't predict if i'm going to bump into a shepherd halfway up the path so Zhao and you know and we're going to end up having a chat with him it's like that was that's a moment that's just you just got to go with it so when i get back into the into the office and start editing that's when the pieces come together i know what i feel and that's why sometimes it's really hard for someone else to edit that video because i felt it on the bike i know the the sort of yeah the essence of what i want to try and achieve so yeah we don't we don't sort of we we do the basic research but we don't you know i haven't got a uh, a script that i've got to be like right now i've got to say this or that um and I'm, i feel lucky because of that because every climb's different so it, it needs a, a different narrative in my opinion all right let's talk equipment what kind of cameras mics drones software editing software what do you guys use uh, early videos, we we've got a we had a, a Sony FS700, which at the time was a, a pretty decent camera. It filmed 4K, but it was very affordable. Um, yeah, I mean, I say very affordable. It's it's you know probably we bought one for ah four or five grand, um, which can seem like a lot. It's like wow, that's a lot of money. But then if you look at the bigger uh, cameras, which which you're making movies with, you know you can spend yeah. 50 100,000 easy on your camera equipment. Now we had we didn't have a budget like that. So uh early days I bought um actually our videographer had an FS700 Sony um and I bought one of the early I think I had a DJI Phantom 2 uh drone so I had a GoPro on there uh, one of the early models of that and uh yeah just basic radio mics. I mean we had a Sony camera so we bought these Sony radio mics which uh which worked pretty good. Um and then uh oh, yeah I think Deb's got a Canon 1D, I think it is. I can't remember what she's got, but yeah, pretty. Yeah, I mean, it's all it's all quite very affordable. Um, and even now, I mean, we're talking. This was four years ago, so now, I mean, your iPhone has got an the new iPhone's got an awesome camera on it. Uh, taking photos, yeah. I mean, the actual sort of point and shoot cameras, it's going to rival a lot of those uh, just for the quality of the pictures that you can get with it. So as we evolved, um, we were in a, a good good situation. Our videographer, um, he wanted to progress his own business because he's freelance, so uh, he does some contract work and cold collective for us. But at the same time, he's looking after his own business, and he he upgraded about a year ago to uh, a red um, camera so he's got the scarlet which is a super good camera um, you know poor, tens of thousands uh, of, of kit right there um, so we were in a situation where obviously he now uses the red uh, which is yeah you can film five six k footage with it it's the, the tricky actual the tricky part is um, it's working with the the super high res footage because it's the, the, the files are massive um, so I can I can edit a video uh, in standard 1080 HD um, and I can edit that and it's fast I mean I can I can do a lot of the the, the sort of editing and, and processing and all the different things I need to do to make the footage look good and it's literally click done click done click done with the the 4k footage or 5k footage. I mean, you sit there and you just see the spinning wheel of death on the screen for 
two minutes just going, yeah, well, is it crashed or is it doing it? Oh, no, it's done it. Right, next shot. And you, you could have 500 shots in a video. And, yeah. and that's where, you know, so you go, well, everyone wants better quality. And, and YouTube, you know, can put 4K videos online and, you know, everything's evolving. But suddenly your workflow takes like four times as long because the footage is so big and hard drives. We're always buying new hard drives and everything. So we actually have a, a continual sort of problem with just trying to organize our, our hard drives, making the backup. So if I'm working on a project, we're backing up the hard drive. So if Deb is working on a project as well, you know, it's all kind of synced and yeah, there's no actual way of doing it. It's, it's just manual, right? Is that hard drive synced with this one? Yes. Is it, you, know, you do some work on it and then next week, no, it's not synced up. So, um, so we're, we're in an awesome situation now with the actual camera, the drone, I just progressed year on year. I mean, uh, DJI used them since the beginning. So, uh, I've got the phantom four now and I'm just waiting because they're no doubt, I think I've just read about the phantom five coming out. So I'll give it another good few, six months or a year, make sure that's in the market and, and all the bugs are fixed. And, um, yeah, just when I think that there's, I, I'm not so, um, equipment orientated that we have to have the, the latest 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 all the time because i mean you just have to, you just be spending money at hand over fist you just can't keep up with it so and i, I think generally for online it's probably not necessary oh. I'm, I'm actually i was going to ask you like do you even think there's real value in trying to produce 4k video versus just 1080 uh probably you know probably not but then i just you just don't know i mean youtube's going 4k um there's a lot of uh, other platforms that are evolving that we're sort of chatting about with with other companies uh, it's kind of connected tv is something which we're the core collective is going to launch on the connected tv platform which is kind of roku uh, eventually apple tv amazon fire and that's interesting because i mean essentially they still only use um, 1080 hd but i mean you know I think five years ago, you probably would have looked at YouTube and said, oh, yeah, they're never going to have HD. And now they're HD 4K. So I'm trying to future proof ourselves to, to as much we can. We haven't we've got obviously budgets, which we need to respect and time. And um, so but it's always it's going to go that way. Everything's going to get you know better, better quality. So we can only do what we can do. But I sort of take a, a quite a pragmatic approach and just say, look, the equipment is like my my DJI um, Phantom 4 still awesome i mean it's still awesome for what we do and you know they've got to bring something out which i'm like right i haven't got that function and it's going to really help us um because the camera i mean yeah when they they up the sensor sizes and you actually just get that much better footage that's that's the moment to say well we kind of need to up, up update and then i just keep an eye on the trends what's youtube doing what's the other platforms doing that we might be able to get uh, uh get our content on and actually what was surprising is i um I don't, I don't really watch the videos after I put them out. I've spent so much time watching them when I produce them. It's kind of like done and I'm on to the next project. But uh, we, we we got this smart TV, which was a new thing for me uh, when we moved to France. Uh, we had a big old box TV that I had for 15 years and I was reluctant to throw it out. But, you know, you've got to move with the times. So we got this smart TV and uh, and I thought, I wonder what calculated video looks like on, on the smart TV. And it's freaking incredible. <laughs> I was like, yeah, we, had, we got some nature mode on there and it, all the colors are super vibrant. And I was like, it looks way better than on YouTube. So I'm like, and we get people like mailing us just saying, yeah, I'm watching it on this 55 inch flat screen TV and it looks awesome. So, yeah, I mean yeah it's one of those things i think it's just a necessity eventually everything's going to be 4k and beyond um and we're just in that transition period at the moment yeah what processing software do you use to edit the videos uh i we personally use the adobe premiere pro um 
through no other reason that that was what our video videographer was using uh, when we first started and uh, our workflow started off uh, with Michaeli making a video sending it to us we would watch it just a like a, a low resolution mp4 and we would watch it and say oh can you change this write a page of change this change this change this change this back and forth back and forth back and forth back and forth really the, the worst workflow you could ever imagine uh, so we eventually just said well you know if you send us a timeline and we you've got the footage and we've got the footage we can essentially just link up that footage we keep our hard drives the uh, the structure of the hard drive the same so when we load up our timeline it's says right link this footage boom boom we link it all up and it finds the footage on the hard drive and then we're essentially working on the live timeline and that was a much better process for us because it meant that we could make real real-time changes and because uh, Michele was using Adobe Premiere Pro we were like well that's what we've got to use so um, that's what we use and it's it's been great so no no reason to change yeah do you guys use any kind of backup mic like you know while you're riding have like a little wired mic to your phone in your pocket or something or do you solely rely on the wireless to capture all of your narrations and uh, other audio? We, we're just uh just on the wireless but we always use headphones so michaeli will always have headphones on and he can he can hear real time if it's dropping out um so he'll be like hey no dropped out do it again or whatever but we, we're just on the on the radio mics time for a quick break yep this is a sponsor message but it's short if you're like me, you run full throttle all day, every day, building your business. Many of us travel a lot, seek adventure, and live life to the fullest. Being able to do that day in and day out means we eat right and stay in shape. Sometimes, it means we're also taking risks. So we need to be covered in the event something happens to us. That's where Health IQ comes in. We know we need life insurance to protect our team, our family, and our investors. But if we're putting all that time and energy into staying fit, strong, and healthy, Shouldn't we also get a discount on that insurance? Health IQ thinks so, and they did something about it. They negotiate with underwriters on behalf of you, me, and thousands more healthy people to get us lower rates, potentially hundreds of dollars lower. And as the business owner, that goes straight back into our pockets. Sound like a win? Show your support for this podcast and check them out at healthiq.com slash buildcycle. That's healthiq.com slash buildcycle. Thanks, and now back to this episode. When you post the videos on YouTube, are you simultaneously posting on Vimeo or any other platforms as well? And then my, the next part of the question is, uh, like on YouTube, are you running ads, you know, AdSense ads against your videos to boost revenue? Yeah, so I, I took the decision early uh, just to post on YouTube. Um, I actually started a Vimeo Pro account, and I was like, yeah, right, we're going to put on here and here. And when I got into it, YouTube was the biggest platform. Um, Vimeo was kind of like that platform where it's like for almost creators to showcase their work. It was a bit more of a uh, – that's what I felt it was a bit more uh, orientated towards, whereas YouTube was just like – everything um, which is difficult because it means there's so much junk on youtube um and you know yeah it, it's it was kind of like you know how do we get our brand out there and how do we get our message out there and how do we get people watching them so you know it was a bit of a decision but i said look in terms of tracking the view count in terms of being able to have a legit number where anyone can go on and just go well how many views have these guys got how many views does a video have instead of me saying well yeah but i've got you know, 50,000 on Vimeo and a hundred thousand on YouTube. And it's just like, that's your number. That's what we've got done. Um, so that, that still works good. I think I know YouTube there, uh, they're really pushing for quality content as well. Um, so 
um, YouTube is what we're at. And uh, in terms of like AdSense revenue, um, what we do is now because I spent so long on each video and, and, you know, I want the quality. I want people's viewing to be, you know, I don't want it to be messed up by ads popping up and interrupted as you're trying to like get into the moment. So what I decided was I want someone to watch the video from start to finish. No ads, nothing. And I could make a bit of money. Um, if I had ads pop up at the bottom of the screen or whatever, or, you know, you can get proper ads uh, pop up halfway through. I didn't want that. Uh, you know, it still doesn't interest me because ultimately I want people to be engaged in what we're doing and, and I want them to escape. I want them to watch the video and actually escape and forget about their everyday world and just be like, I'm in the moment. Uh, what we do run is uh, the clickable ads at the beginning that you uh, pretty standard practice. You know, it's like 15 second ad at the beginning of a video and you can, after five seconds, you can click it off. Uh, we run that. Um, we make a little bit. It's not. It's nothing. I, I call it cat food. Um, uh, with our because essentially the way that YouTube, the the architecture of YouTube is, we 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 would make um, uh, our biggest view to per per month uh, so far is 181,000 views, and that was actually in February. So we were going up and up. Uh, we used to really get excited when we hit the 100,000, and we're up to 181,000 now. Is that, um, so uh, for a single video, or is that channel wide? That's channel wide. Channel wide across the month, uh, 181,000 views. And uh, but of course, I mean that's good for us because we're a, a niche. We're very um, our viewers are highly engaged in what we're talking about, so they're very targeted. Uh, if you're a super crazy megastar who has got you know 65 million followers on YouTube and you put a video out and you get five million views in a day. Of course, they have to make sure that the revenue, <laughs> those guys are making serious bucks. Um, we're at the bottom end of the scale, whereas although our views are really good for the industry we're in, uh, on the YouTube scale, making, you know, doing a million and a half views a year, it doesn't even register on the, the analytics and, and the, uh, the the AdSense. So we, we, we get a bit of loose change come come each month, which I, I not to be derogatory to what we get, but it's, it's basically cat food. Um, we've got four cats and <laughs> that's what they live on. We just put it into the cat food pot. So it, everything helps, you know, you're not going to discard it. I would say, look, that these these areas are, are there for the taking. And, and you know, we've, we've licensed all of the music. We, we own the licenses so that we're able to do that. If you don't buy the right license, we pay more so that we can actually monetize the content. Um, if you if you don't, you know, many times you can just you know, just take a track and just use it. But uh, then what will happen is the artist, it will get flagged up and the artist will actually make the revenue money, which is, yeah, thumbs up. Go for it. So we, we invest more in the music so that we can actually monetize it. Um, because essentially, again, it's kind of that future proofing as our channel grows. We have more content online, um, more subscribers. Hopefully everything grows. You make a little bit more. So um, it's not a big revenue driver, but it's, it's definitely there and it should be capitalized on it if you can. Yeah. And I think an important part for people to remember is that what you're producing is largely evergreen content. You know, if you're talking about a certain climb, I could be watching that video 10 years from now and it's still going to be almost entirely relevant in that, you know, very little about that climb is going to change in 10 years. So it, it, there's a long, long lifespan to your videos, which is really valuable for the brands that sponsor it as well as, um, you know, like that's good future proofing because, you know, who knows? Some of those videos may have a few million views in a decade and just keep yeah, racking we, up for you. We definitely hope so. I mean, we're, <laughs> we're up to 300,000 on, on one of the videos. You know, we've got a, a good few in the 200,000s and 
and that was three years ago when we we started putting the videos out so yeah they're there for for everyone to enjoy and and get the most out of and and that was one of the the key sort of areas as i i spoke to brands about the project i said look you know you can invest in something i said you know simplest terms i've been the marketing guy i've been on that side of the fence you've got x amount which you can spend and you want to try and get the most value out of it how are you going to do that uh i used to book print adverts and everything and 30 days later uh yeah for the for the want of a better term it's fish and chip paper it's in the bin mm-hmm. um and, i want to and and maybe produce... somebody saw it maybe they didn't you know yeah they yeah, yeah just exactly. right past it. there's no there's no traceability tracking it's really hard to to quantify the value in that i mean you know yeah i'm saying let's take this product that we've got it's even if you invest for a year I'm not going to pull the videos down after a year and say you haven't invested now. Uh, I mean, if I was smart, I probably would have looked for a, some sort of uh, yeah long-term sponsorship model where you pay by the year for <laughs> whatever. But you've got to keep things simple. I wanted to go there, say, look, I can do this for you. Keep it simple. We, we keep all of our, in our opinion, our um, sponsorship uh, rates or, you know, to be part of what we do. Uh, I mean, I know what it costs to, to place adverts. And I'm just saying that, I mean, you can you can play some adverts or you can you can invest in, in a platform like what we've got. And essentially, this is going to give you a far bigger return because, yeah, the videos are online. They're going to keep giving. What about a subscription model? Have you ever looked at doing something like that? Or would you just rather push the sponsors to stay on board longer and try and boost the revenue from that end? I think I, I did look at, um, I mean, it's one of those things on the back burner as well. There's tons of different areas where we're sort of looking how we can evolve, what we can offer, what what extra value we can give to the community. And one thought I, I had was on the Cold Collective website, having some sort of almost uh, behind the scenes entry where you can subscribe and you get um, additional content or you get additional benefits. Uh, what it comes down to is just time. It's just time. Uh, we're, we're pretty invested in what we're trying to do and what we're trying to build now. Um, and also the the next part of what we we evolved and started uh, last season, which was uh, essentially our cycling tours, which is an evolution of the Coal Collective. Um, so I, I have sort of looked at that as an idea, but it, it comes down to having the bandwidth to actually act on it. So never say never, but at the moment we're quite invested with with other areas. So this is a question I ask myself a lot with Bike Rumor: is that you know, like obviously we're both passionate cyclists, and that's why we got into the positions we're in, but. I look sometimes at the amount of time and energy and, and everything else and resources that I put into producing content about bikes. And I, I look at the same people doing that or, or less for more general interest topics with just like 10, 20, 100 times the audience size, page views yeah. and revenue that we have. And I, like, do you ever wonder like, okay, should I be doing something like this in another category that would just have, you know, instead of 100,000 views in a month, I'd have like 10 million views in a month? Yeah, I mean, that, that's super interesting. And uh, we actually had a, a chat, myself and Deb, um, earlier today. Uh, and again, this is kind of the behind the ride, the behind the ride concept for me is, is being at a talk, like essentially the Cold Collective is going out, riding a mountain um, and giving someone the the knowledge to go and do it and the confidence. Um, but there's so much more to, to cycling than that. So I still want to remain within that that niche because that's what I'm truly passionate about. Um, and I, I think that the Behind the Ride series for me could open up a, a bigger audience because I can talk a lot more about my experience from a whole host of things, whether it's product or, as I said, nutrition or whatever. Um, but then you step outside and you just think, I mean, we watch, I watch videos and uh, it's crazy that you asked that question because it was just today which we said, 
there are so many bloggers out there and the co- the value of the, the actual production value is almost nothing it's an iphone it's just like stick and it's wobbly and it's and that that doesn't matter to people the content and to be honest sometimes the content is nothingness as well you get halfway through and say they're just rambling um or, but they're opening up massive, toys <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah but there's a massive audience um and now i'm 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 pretty targeted, so I'm. I wouldn't say that I'd become a, you know, a, a blogger like that because uh, the way I would I would see the Coal Collective evolving is is trying to develop our our behind the ride um, to to a broader audience, so that it's not just about you know the audience isn't just about riding up a hill or riding a nice beautiful loop, but it's a bit more on the education side of cycling life. So that could put it more into the mainstream, but to be honest, it's not really a strategic. Uh, we don't really have a strategic business plan on how to grow and, you know, become famous on YouTube because <laughs> I don't actually really want that. <laughs> I just want to do what I do and enjoy doing it. And then everything else is a consequence. I think when you're passionate about something and you do it well, then what will be will be. Yeah. And I think that's the trick because that's the the end result. I always come back to in my head. It's like, yeah, you know, like I could probably try and write about another subject matter, but I wouldn't really care about it. And I think that would show through in the quality of the work. All right, marketing. How do you get the word out about Call Collective? How do you draw people to the channel and to your website? Um, back when we started it, uh, really, it was through the brands which we were involved with. So I looked at it and said, you know, I've got some relationships with 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 good brands, brands which have invested in the project. Uh, they all have their following, and as they grow, you know, Cannondale has got three hundred thousand um, fans on Facebook. Pretty similar, I think, to Mavic. These big brands have got their own channels. They've got great websites, good social media. So essentially, I I tried to sort of pool all of the brand resources and get the word out there in that way. Um, that was step one. Um, step two was kind of. Um, yeah, the media and the relationships which I had with with all the the, the friends which I'd, I'd made in the industry. And when we launched, I just say, hey, guys, this is a new platform that I put together. If websites decide that that fits with their own model and they the content is um, topical, top, topical and they, they can use it, then it's free for them to put on their website. So I send a press release out with every video. I send photos out. I've just got my, my sort of database and and that's worked really well. I'm truly thankful for all of the media out there which um, have helped sort of spread the seed and sow the seed um, because that was a, an amazing um, way to actually sort of get the brand out there. Now, subsequently, what we found is um, the third part of the, the, the whole sort of platform was was Google. So using search terms and Google, Anal- uh, Google search uh, to our advantage, um, so what I wanted to try and create was if someone types in Alpduez or cycling Alpduez, you know, having all these links to the brands, having these links to uh, the media, and then essentially sort of having Google by tagging everything up behind the scenes in an appropriate way. People are finding us not because they're actually searching. They don't even know the Cold Collective. They just want to know how to cycle up Alpduez. And then we'll be somewhere close to the top. Um, and having all these different links to different brands uh, shows Google that you're you're credible and you're, you're you're reputable and you've got some knowledge. So those backlinks are quite useful as well. And it actually goes around full circle because I've sort of analysed and, and looked at the the Google side of, of searching for content. And what I now find is that some of the, the the main sort of media that have supported us and brands that that put maybe blogs out with our videos, they actually appear high up on the 
Google rankings uh, if someone searches for the Coal Collective or if they search for a Coal Collective climb. Uh, you might get, you know, RoadCC is a classic example, um, and Velo News, they've done a lot in the past. Um, these websites that put the content out because it's good for them, because it's news and it's, you know, it's engaging. Um, if someone types in the Coal Collective, they could end up on the first page of Google, which is actually really good for them. So uh, I see it as a two-way process. Um, getting the, the content out there through the brands, through the media, but then also Google. Um, and then on the sort of flip side, uh, now subsequently we've seen that there's actually a benefit for, for media because sometimes there's that sort of like, well, why do I want to put this out? It's an advert. You should pay for it. But everyone wants to try and get their ranking higher because that's kind of the, the holy grail of being found on the internet. Yeah, it's fascinating. How do you use social media? The traditional three, Facebook, Facebook Instagram, and Twitter, I would say that they all serve their purpose. Twitter is kind of like, kind of like dying really uh I see that as just like a, a consequence really of, of having a bit of a face there and you know we built the, the the twitter side when it was maybe a little bit more important for us but facebook and instagram instagram is probably the most important that seems to be growing we, we spend most of our time just trying to because i mean picture paints a thousand words we have thousands th like tens of thousands of pretty incredible photos from our travels and instagram is just the, the best outlet for it so um i actually uh part of part of trying to manage that that whole social media i sort of tasked deb she fell into that role role of she's a, a girl with many objectives and tasks and yeah work that she needs to get done but but i, I said that to get you know to be engaged with social i mean i I sort of manage it to a point, but then she's she's taken all the photos. She knows exactly what we've got. So it works pretty good like that. And then I see the difference between sort of Instagram. Instagram is very much that, you know, that sort of inspiring shot that captures the moment. And then Facebook is a bit more about the message. So we'll put the videos on Facebook. You know, we'll sort of uh, put a link over to YouTube and say, hey, this is coming soon. And uh, a little bit more sort of engagement on Facebook. So I think the platforms work well together, but it's it's a real job to manage. Um, it's a 24-7 if you want it to be. Um, and when you're busy and, and trying to just produce content to think about the, all the, the sort of social behind it, uh, I'll make no bones about it. I, I struggle with it. And it, it's I think many people do struggle with it because it's endless. Yeah. It's, I want to just real super quick talk about the events that you've started doing. Um, it, it's kind of like a guided tour of some of the climbs that you really enjoyed what's the business model behind that so what what happened was um going back to the the sort of sponsorship model that we had um you know i, I looked at it and i'm i mean it's it's hard i've been effectively uh you know in sponsorship meetings since i was just a kid uh even when i was working sort of you know alongside cannondale it's like you're still i'd worked for, for cannondale for 12 years but when I left, I was back after, you know, a year and the contract ran out and I was back pitching again, like trying to sell my soul. Like, this is what, who I am. This is what I'm about. This is what I can do for you. And, you know, essentially, uh, I got to the point where I'm, I wanted to take control and uh, limit the amount of times that I have to basically be in front of someone. Just if they say yes, it's great. If they say no, what happens? You know, the tours for me and the Cold Collective Cycling Tours, certainly when I launched the Cold Collective with the videos, was never an option. It was never part of a long-term plan. But as the community grew and we were always fielding, because there's part of the website where it's um, the learn section and the ask the expert section. So we were getting tons and tons of questions about, and we're, we're basically always 
uh, helping people book their holidays, helping people plan their holidays, where to go, what to do. They're going here, what rides to do. And it, it's really time consuming. Um, so I knew that there was, well, there's people coming to me because we were a resource and we, we had some credibility uh, saying, hey, you know, I'm going on holiday. I've got seven days and I want to make the most of it. How can I do this? And um, you know, I, I had that affiliation and, and quite a long-term um, affiliation with the Pyrenees when I rode across uh, in 2011, and I just love this area. Uh, it brings back incredible memories for me. So uh, I got to the point where I, I wanted to move to the Pyrenees. I just said, this is where I want to live. So uh, I wanted to work out, well, how can I turn that part of my life into you know my personal life, which is where I live, but also at the same time offer something that maybe evolves the cold collective and you know i know that there's some sort of uh, passion for for the community that we've got to come and ride with us or, or just ask the questions on how and how to do it and where and i just thought maybe if i i tie the two up and say well i want to live in this 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 region it makes our business a lot easier because well we're in the mountains so we can go out and do our photos we can capture content uh, that much easier because we, we don't have to you know jump on a plane or, or a long car drive and you know, so there's there's this part. Uh, essentially, I wanted to live here, and and then I looked at all the other avenues that could be beneficial for for us as as individuals, and then also uh, the coal collective moving forward in the community. And and I just yeah, like it, like all the time, you start with a blank piece of paper and you say, okay, this is what I want for my life. This is where I want to go. This is ultimately what I want. Uh, period. Uh, and then you just start breaking it down and building it out and trying to put the plan together. So the tours really came for, for, for that passion for, for wanting to be closer to the mountains, you know, authentic with our message that we put out to the world. That's, that's what we, we live and breathe. And then we just set about putting a plan together to say, Hey, I wonder if people would enjoy coming and spending a week with us, uh, you know, seeing how we live, seeing what it's all about. And, really tapping into into what we do um, and who we are as individuals uh, in a much deeper way. Um, we just tried to put that together. And, and last year was was we were really uh, blown away by the the um, encouragement and, and also just the yeah, the, the passion people had when they come on a tour. And they what's what's really nice is most of our guests are, you know, 90 percent of the guests, even more. They're Cole Collective fans They They followed the project They're They're into what we do. Um, I don't really equate ourselves as a, a cycle touring company. Um, this is just an extension of what we do. And, uh, you know, in, in terms of marketing, we it's basically through the cold collective videos. People, we put the, the, we use Facebook and Instagram. We say, hey, we're launching our tours. And uh, then we got emails saying, well, awesome. When the schedule's out, I'd love to know more and, and just built it up quite organically like that. Yeah, I know for a lot of European mountain bike guides, they have to have some pretty serious permitting to be able to lead you know, have be paid to lead rides. Is that a similar situation for road rides or what, what sort of permitting and insurance do you have? To have? Yeah. I mean, for road guiding, uh, there isn't a, a certain, you know, legislation that you need and, and guides and permits, which, uh, which, you know, it's a good thing because it means obviously we we're able to do that. Um, but from, from the negative side, it means that anyone can do it. I mean, I know that we have got, you know, tremendous amount of experience in the mountains. Um, and my own personal experiences, whether it's riding through the night, whether it's knowing that how reading the cloud patterns to know when something's going to happen and saying, hang on a minute, guys, we need to we need to hurry up here because in two hours time, <laughs> this isn't going to look anything like it looks now. And, you know, that's just my own personal experience. Um, and I know that, you know, from the, the organization, which I've had the experience, which we, we've built up through uh, 
15 years now of, of, of working, organizing launches and servicing, serving people and bringing people together and, and what it takes. And actually being on the other end of stuff now as an ambassador, I go to a lot of product launches, which brands are organizing. So I've seen you know, tons of stuff over the years. And, and I just sat down and said, look, I, I want to keep, essentially we keep group sizes really small. We have eight people on the road, um, eight riders maximum. And within that, our staff this year, uh, we're going to have up to six people um, catering for that group of eight, which seems crazy, but it's just what I want to do. I want to make sure that people are really well looked after. Um, we, we cater for cyclists of all abilities, so um, you're never going to be left alone on the mountain, and we can have three guides on the road. And that's just that was just the way, you know, this is how I feel comfortable um, making sure that we can look after people in the right way. It even goes down to as much as having um, our, one of our, our guides who, who um, works for us for, for three months of the year uh, is the same guy who does all the graphics for the Cold Collective. And, you know, he's, he's part of the family. So he's uh, from Montreal and uh, he's French Canadian. So it's awesome because you know, he's perfect French. If we have any problems, we can sort it out quickly on the road. Um, and it's things like that where anybody can really set a business up um, and say, hey, I'm going to go and run a cycle tour um, and, and guide. Uh, but you know, you've got to kind of read between the lines and hopefully, you know, the, the credibility and the, the experience that we've got is, it's got some value to it. So, uh, but ultimately I want to feel comfortable when, when we're, we're taking people out and we want to make sure that they come back and they have the, the experience of a lifetime. Um, and you know, I've just put, we've tried to work really hard to put that that platform in place where yeah maybe it's a little bit uh, elaborate at times with the the, the the amount of people which we've got on the road helping but uh, I prefer too many than too few yeah how many trips are you going to be leading this year uh, we've got nine nine weeks of, of tours and for the first time actually everything is based from our, our guest house in the Pyrenees uh, except for one tour which is uh, a, a, an Italian experience and we're we're actually doing that in partnership with one of the brands that uh, we work with called Infocrank um, and yeah we, we, we're going to try and run a tour outside of our uh, main region uh, and see how popular it is it's 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 going down well at the moment so i've been running out of, out of hotels and uh see how that works but yeah nine nine weeks uh pretty much back to back from uh, middle of june up to middle of september is this something you plan on continuing to grow and have this be a more important part of your revenue stream uh actually no um what we're trying to do um when i look at our sort of business structure is try to make sure that with the tours it actually gives us a really good basis for knowing how our year looks because in the past it's it's like video project we can go here i may have a project for the brand maybe a cannondale project and you know the, the year is quite sporadic it's like yeah we're here we're there we're everywhere and now with the tours it sort of like grounds us saying well in the summer we are we're running tours and we're super laser focused on this. And, you know, people are, are coming to have that, that once in a lifetime experience and we want to deliver. The way I actually see our business going and the way I want to try and make it is so that each part of the business, whether it's filming Cold Collective, whether it's ambassador work, whether it's cycle tours, they all have their own part in the season. Because it works so well with everything else, we still want to evolve the Cold Collective digital side with the videos and you know the Cold Collective tours um, is a separate part it's a separate part of the business but you know that has its own space in the calendar um, the, the actual sort of goal is really to make it all fit 
and make sure that we have enough uh, personal time as well, which is is actually quite a challenge to to make sure that we actually have enough downtime to to enjoy the whole experience ourselves and and rest and recover. Yeah, for me, it's um, it's it's kind of just finding the balance, yeah. and uh, that's that would make me a happy man if I can do that. <laughs> well, I think it's a good idea to diversify too, because not just that you diversify your revenue streams, but you also kind of keep yourself mentally fresh. Because just when you might start getting burned out on one thing you get to switch gears and, and tackle new challenges, which is kind of fun. Um, oh, absolutely. So I have three ideas for you that, tell me, you, you probably thought of these, but um, regarding the, the tours, there's two ideas. One, it would be, it seems like once you have the staff running through you for a couple of years, you could probably turn them loose to run some tours without you personally be there and, and grow that side of the business without having to take up too much more of your time. Um, the other side of that is, you know, like I know there are a lot of brands out there who like to put on really nice product launch trips, but they don't have anybody in house that could do that. So it seems like you could almost market some of these camps or add weeks where you don't have to worry about random people showing up, but you know that there's going to be a brand and, and certain media people there and just sell that service to the brands and run their product launch camp for them. Um, yeah, I think you've um, probably. I did, did I leave my webcam on or something? Have you been spying <laughs> on me? <laughs> so yeah, just just so in essence to that. I mean, in terms of evolving, um, again, it, there's. I mean, everything's organic. We just we just look at it and what's what's working well. Um, as the Cole Collective, I mean, uh, our contract comes to the end with Mavic uh, at the end of this year. Uh, yeah, I think we've done a good job, but I'm not in control of that. Um, I can only do as best as I can. And it might be that the, uh, the platform that we've got for the Cole Collective shifts and changes and we, we have to sort of evolve. And it could be that uh, next year we, we run um, a couple more weeks of tours because we're trying to bring some more revenue in or whatever. So, you know, there's always going to be this sort of fluidity about how we do stuff and, and what's going to take precedence at any one time, um, depending on, on essentially how the, the contracts pan out. So we, we're in this nice situation. What I'm trying to build is having enough um, avenues where we can move in one direction and we can still continue what we're doing and we can move in the other direction and we can do a bit more of that we can continue what we're doing um and when it comes to sort of the staffing and that yes it's it's kind of like well we have quite a few different um it's it's quite complimentary actually we have quite a few different touring companies actually contacting us wanting to be partners essentially and say how can we partner with you and i i I look at that and i think it's a huge compliment because we're new in this space um you also but, get to license your brand. I mean, you've like created the brand and this this exactly. inspirational type thing, right? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. And that that's kind of like, and I'm looking at it, saying, okay, well, I've got to talk about, I've got to think about this, um, because that that to build that brand and to build that channel where you know you can you can get people engaged and actually communicate with them. Everything we've built, the tools are just because you know I'm, I'm trying to build a platform that can mean that we can continue we can continue with a relative uh, or trying to limit our stress year on year when it comes to negotiating contracts and sponsorship because that's that's really nerve-wracking when you've done it for 15 years and uh, you think you've done a good job but then a brand hasn't hasn't performed and the market shifts and budgets disappear so you know we're just trying to essentially set something up that is really going to give us a solid foundation and then from that it's franchising it's partnerships uh i had a chat uh actually i was at the mavic uh they did a, a, 
and brand experience week. So they had the, all the reps uh, from all over the world. And we did a week of talking product and riding, and it was awesome. Um, but even during during that meeting, you know, we were chatting, and I was saying, look, we've now got a year under our belt, and uh, a bunch of the Mavic guys are going to come down and just check the facility out because I said, there's we can run an amazing product launch. I mean, I know the roads, I know the house, I know the facility, I can run everything. I've got everything. I've got the trailer, the truck, the van. I can do airport runs. We, I, I used to run product launches. I used to manage them. That's what my job was. <laughs> so I, I, I can do the whole lot. I can do a, be a one-shot job and say, if you want to launch a product um, in the Pyrenees or in the mountains or, you know, we've had a chat with our, our, our lighting brand, Exposure Lights. I know some pretty damn cool night rides top of the mountains watch the sun come up launch a new product do small groups you know eight journalists at a time everything's a possibility whether we go in that direction is kind of like that's the future so the other idea i had just while we were thinking or while you were talking is that you know so putting on these these tours you know these personally guided tours is great but you can only scale that so much which you probably are running up against that wall right now but you know, when I look at planning a trip where I end up getting either frustrated or just spending an inordinate amount of time is trying to figure out, all right, what are the cool things to see? How, what are all of the logistics I need to consider? And I, I think the cycling crowd has probably proven that they're willing to pay something for assistance in creating that experience. And while not everyone may want to do an organized tour, if you had like you could sell almost like an ebook on each area and you've been to so yep, many yep. areas that it seems like some kind of like downloadable product of like just an itinerary recommendations, tips and tactics and all that for somebody that wanted to, you know, like a pocket guide version of your videos. Mm. Yeah, that, that's an, again. These are yeah, again the, the spy cam's been on. I'm sure because <laughs> I've got my <laughs> I've got a list of like potentials, and I think what's going to happen is um, as you mentioned at the the top of the podcast where you were sort of saying you've got you've got bike rumor, but aside from that you've got some other cool projects you'd like to do, but until your back's against the wall, you just haven't got the bandwidth. Now I, I've got the option to uh, freelance out and you know expand in that way. Um, I actually find that really hard to. I know I, I, I read a lot. I, I listen to a lot of uh, podcasts and everyone is telling me about scalability and letting go. And the moment you do that, everything's going to evolve. But so I'm not hard. trying to, I'm not trying to build a huge business. Um, I'm pretty content. It's like, I want to just offer something which I think is the best I can possibly do and change someone's life for that amount of time they're with us or that amount of time they're watching a video. But I've still, I still, I'm still ambitious. I still got a huge list of like, I could do this. We could have our kit design. We could do that. We could, yeah, I've got book um, projects that I, I want to start. I think everything's going to potentially um, over the next handful of years, these projects are going to come to life. But uh, yeah, it's just at the moment, it's the bandwidth and sort of saying, well, once you've freelanced it out, you lose a little bit of the essence of it. And, you know, uh, I think it comes to the point where, yeah, maybe when your back's against the wall and it's like, ah, I've got to do this now. Um, it comes to down to time, having enough time to do it. And that could be if uh, sponsorship falls away or, or something uh, disappears, it frees up the time. And then that's when that project goes from number three on the list to number one, and then you're back in. So, um, again, yeah, there's, there's some awesome ideas and I, yeah, think that sort of ebook idea and even like we had the, um, ask the experts section on the, the cold collective, but we find it so hard to serve those people because it's basically a free service. And, you know, going forward, I'm thinking it could be the sort of subscriber base where, 
you can sort of say, yeah, or it costs X amount and we will, you know, we will spend an hour's worth of time planning and, and answering your questions to try and make sure you get the most out of your holiday. Um, but it's just, uh, yeah, I hate to repeat myself. It's just actually having the time to do it. Yeah. Well, that could be like one of those levels of service, right? Like you have the videos are free. <laughs> Then you've yep. got you know this this cheap ebook or little pocket guide, and then if you want like the premium concierge service of actually talking to you one on one for an hour or exactly. something, then yep. that costs a little bit more. And I, I feel like that kind of stuff is a lot easier to scale. But um, mm. yeah, I don't know. I was just thinking of it. Well, when you're over on our product launch, we can chat about it a bit more. So <laughs> I like we'll it. keep that one in mind. It's easier to work once. <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, Mike. Man, I. We've once again crushed two hours. I'm going to break this into two parts. But so final question, what advice would you give to an entrepreneur that wants to create something similar to what you've done? Um, Great question. Uh, I would, I would say I would break it down and I would say that, you know, you've got to, you've got to find that passion. You've got to find the passion to what you want to do. And, And essentially the passion is what is going to make it come true. Uh, I never started um, back in my career with Cannondale as a 21-year-old with these grand ambitions of like, yeah, one day I'm going to do what I'm doing now. But I had a passion to I, – I, I remember talking to myself as a kid and I just said like, whatever I do, I want to be the best at what I want to do. Um, I just had this – yeah, it was just in me. I just – you know, I wanted to be a specialist. I think that's what I said to myself. I want to be a specialist, whether that's in you know the training I do for a career or whatever. I just want to try and find and, and go as far as I can and, and just try and you know fulfill my own mind and body and, and whatever. So it, it, number one, it comes down to like finding that passion because if – I mean my, my journey, my experience is I wouldn't I, – there's no way I could have done 18 years at the, the pace I've done it, the hours, the weekends, the nights, the everything – if I didn't believe in what I wanted to do, I wanted to do it because it was for me. It was yeah. purely well, my, my dream. But that's, that's a weird way that you mentioned it because it, it's almost like you're passionate about two different things, right? Like you're passionate about the cycling and that's what makes it fun. But then you're also just passionate about whatever it was that you ended up doing, whether it was like the Canada marketing or now call collect over these tours, like yep. making those particular things the best that they can possibly be. And there, there's really something to be said for that. Like maybe maybe that particular project is the most like the the subject matter or whatever the content of it isn't the most exciting but what you do is you make it exciting by saying okay look i have to do this how can i do it the most amazingly awesome way possible and you you find yeah. pleasure in that yeah definitely i mean just my personality i'm i and it's 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 a, it's a yin and a yang it's a good and a bad it's uh i'm just i've got this crazy attention to detail uh i get wound up by like the smallest things when you know things are placed on screen and you know things don't line up and it's just does it's crazy but that's essentially i think what has sort of brought me to where i am because you know i can look at things and i know for a fact that i I just want it done you know to the highest level that i can possibly do and and when i you know when i switch the light off at night and i just think to myself yeah you know what i worked hard on that and uh so yeah it's the passion finding that that's the hard thing. It's, but I know for one that there's never going to be a right and wrong. Um, and if things don't go my, in my direction, in my way, you just reinvent, you, you know, I, I always say there's no, no such thing as, as failure. Um, there's just a big hurdle that you're going to have to get over. And yeah, I mean, you, as long as you work hard, you, you reinvent and you, you move on and you get over the hurdle and, you know, you keep doing it, but essentially you just got to keep enjoying it. And, uh, yeah, what will be, will be. Yeah. Right. I'll, We'll end on that. Thanks a ton for your time, man. I really appreciate it. It was great talking to you.
Uh, absolutely awesome and uh, yeah keep me posted and you know any more ideas floating by and uh, yeah I'd love to chat more Mike's experience with producing videos is far greater than mine but the realities of it mirror my struggles with doing more of it it takes a lot of time He's not exaggerating when he says it takes a full day of filming to produce one eight minute video. I think that's where a lot of wannabe YouTube stars fall off, or they take the shortcut of just plopping themselves in front of a camera and talking. That can work too, but if you want to create content that will stand the test of time, you need to tell a story and have good production value. Much like starting a podcast or blog, if you're starting a video series, go watch a bunch of videos first. See what you like, what you don't like, and pay attention to why. Think about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and how they're getting to that end result. The other big takeaway is that relationships matter. Mike was able to leverage his relationships to get sponsorships and project work. That's what's funding the Call Collective. His body of work also helps, which reinforces the idea that you need quality over quantity. I like how he's also leveraging his brand equity into other avenues, like tours. While you always need to be careful with licensing deals and ensure your partner lives up to your standards and won't tarnish your brand, with a little oversight, I think that's where Mike could maximize brand and revenue growth without adding a ton to his workload. Is there a way you can use your credibility, audience, or brand awareness to provide value to others such that they would be willing to pay for it? I'll leave you with that thought. Well, and this small ask. If you like this podcast, could you please share it on social media to help me spread the word? Just tag at The Build Cycle on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram and let your friends know about it. What's in it for you? Well, it helps me grow the audience, which helps me get bigger and better guests for you. Thanks a ton. Here's hoping you can leverage what you're already doing to grow your business even faster. Until next time, keep building. Keep building.